we've chosen to take a bit of a break. Um, maybe this will probably be our second week. We'll take a break and we'll get back on track um, the following Sunday. Um, but I, I um, wanted to speak a little bit about Thanksgiving. And no, not about the day, but more so about the posture or behavior or attitude of gratitude. Sorry. Yeah, the, the attitude of thanksgiving, of being grateful. Um, you know, for us as Christians, um, we can't just boil this thing called thanksgiving down to a day. Really, it's a lifestyle for us. And unfortunately, or not unfortunate, but fortunately, it's not contingent upon our emotional status. Um, you know, the thing that I love about Jesus is that the night before he was trade, he ate dinner with his friends. And he broke bread with them, and the Bible said that he gave thanks to the Lord. Um, and, and being that it was on the heels of his betrayal and crucifixion, I think that says a lot to me. It, it, it tells me that actually being thankful or having gratitude is... Something that is not based upon our experiences, our emotional kind of makeup. It's actually just a behavior um, that the Bible actually calls for. It's not ignoring our hardships when we give thanks. It's not making those hardships bigger than God. Turn with me to Psalm 69, 30. And this is going to be kind of our... Hallmark verse, excuse me, um, but just this kind of first, I think, five words here. David starts off this verse and says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. The word magnify here uh, can be used in two different ways or have two different senses or things that it's used for. It can mean to make something appear greater than it is, as with a microscope or a magnifying glass, right? Or it can mean to make something that may seem small and insignificant appear to be as great as it really is. This is kind of like the job or kind of what our telescopes do for us. They, they, they either magnify things that are small so that we can see them with our eyes or they they magnify things in ways that they're, they appear as really vast and big as they really are. When, when David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, I don't think he means I will make a small God bigger than he really is. I, think, I, take, I take David to mean I will make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. I love that. I don't know about if you're anything like me, I, I make a big deal out of things that just should not be made a big deal of. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a drama queen in that respect. Ask my wife. No, that was not an insult to you ladies. It's just kind of, you know, I'm just making that. She would, you know, judge, whatever. Let's move on. So, so David says, I will make... Uh, God begin in my eyes, my eyes, David, not mine, but David, 
I will make this big God look as big as he really is. And I, and I, I, I would imagine that when David says, I will magnify, it's almost as if he's not connected, in this verse at least, to the bigness of God or the greatness of God. It's almost like David is, something's welling up inside of him that maybe his words and his mind is not immediately connected to right now. Or maybe, maybe there is no reason that would exist in Psalm 69 verse 30 for David to say, I will magnify God. It's just something that wells up inside. Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe there's no clear and apparent reason for David to give thanks. I think that's the case. I'm going to put my head inside of David's head. Because many times in the Psalms, you see that David does just this. You ever heard of that song, I Had a Bad Day Again? I had a bad day again. No? Okay. Show my age. We'll move on. You know, the fact is God is great. And in every way, that greatness is to be valued, it's to be cherished. That greatness, I will even say, should be obvious to us all. Listen to what a, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, 20 and 21. He says this, Ever since the creation of the world, His invisible nature, God's invisible nature, namely God's eternal power and deity, has been made clearly, has been clearly, excuse me, perceived in the things that have been made. Look around you. Look out these windows today. Look at the person sitting next to you. Here, God's greatness is put on display. God does not need to do a thing. He has already given us much in His creation to observe the greatness and the awesomeness of God. Paul goes on to say, so men are without excuse. Now this scares me what he uh, closes with, verse 21 with. Because I so connect to this part of the verse. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Now listen, he goes and closes with this, our give Him Thanks. It doesn't say that they were given over to adultery, fornication, greed. It says they did not glorify God. They did not give God thanks. Although the reasons were clear and obvious to their eyes in creation, in our bodies, and this glory, this, this reason to give thanks is so obvious, but yet we've become so familiar. Tragically, tragically, the sinful insensitivity and forgetfulness of our hearts, because of those things, we have lost sight of what should be obvious. It gets lost. Sadly, many of God's greatest attributes and most Awesome and loving deeds pass in one ear and out the other without causing the slightest 
bit or ripple of emotion within us. I'm not mad. I'm I'm mad at the truth of this because when I say this, it so resonates in my heart. In Daryl, it resonates. Unfortunately, in Daryl's life, God's awesomeness passes. His loving deeds goes in one ear, out the other. And and very rarely, unfortunately for Daryl, it does not cause the slightest bit of emotion or connection to the awesomeness of God. Friends, the church has a problem. Thanksgiving is more than a day. For the Christian. We need to so desperately ask God. As Paul asked God. In Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. To open the eyes of our hearts. That we might see. That is that we would really know. And feel. The hope to which. He has called us. Unfortunately, even when God's graciously removes those scales from our eyes so we can move, be moved by His greatness, we are still prone to straightaway forget. Are you anything like me? It's like I often explain my own journey with Christ, my own faith journey as a roller coaster ride where I'm doing my best to just stabilize my emotions And focus my eyes on the greatness of God. If you're anything like me this morning, you know what it's like to experience God's love so intensely in one moment that it changes everything. It it changes the way we talk. It changes the way we love. It changes the way we respect and honor our wives, our husbands, and our spouses. We serve differently. We give differently. When God touches us. But unfortunately, a very brief time passes and something changes. We find ourselves feeling no confidence at all in the goodness and the greatness of God because we are prone to forget the evidences of God's goodness all around us. And the evidence of God's goodness in Scripture, this is a tragedy. Maybe it's a little hard for Sunday morning after Thanksgiving. But I think if we can lock into this heart that David had here or has here for us, that if we can understand how a man, Jesus Christ, can break bread with his friends and give thanks before he is betrayed and killed. Oh, I think there's a lot to learn. Church would look a lot different with a lot of happy, focused on God's greatness kind of people. You know, when, when, we, when we replace that focus of God's greatness and goodness, we turn church into a performance. I'm not mad. I'm actually very happy. I'm a very happy guy. Very happy. Actually, it's scary how happy I am. (laughs) 
I do get loud. Forgive me. It's, I don't know if it's, it's something my dad gave me. He's a very silent man, so I don't think so. Um, but I'm not mad. I just want to make that clear. I'm just passionate. I'm passionate about truth. Friends, we should be passionate, charged about the truth that goes against the grain of who we are. It's, oh, I love this. I love that David himself can go against the grain in Psalm 69, 30 to the way he feels. He goes in an opposite direction. He gives thanks rather than mourns. He gives thanks rather than complains. I'm not talking about ignoring hardship and problems. I'm, I'm really talking about making God bigger than those problems and that hardship. And I think that's a, that's a good, good focus. Let's uh, go to another scripture where we see David do ultimately the same thing in Psalms 103, verses 1 and 2. David says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. I think there's a reason David said that. <laughs> Forget not. <laughs> In light of what has just been spoken, this is a great starting place when we forget about God's goodness and greatness. It's actually commanding our souls to reconnect. <laughs> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. <laughs> Psalm 77, 11. Here it is. Again, I will call to mind. I won't forget. I'll call to my mind the deeds of the Lord. Yea, I will remember thy wonders of old. So not only is David commanding his souls to glorify God, he's, he's using days of old. He's, he's most likely has nothing current to pull from that would connect him to the greatness of God. And so he's got nothing. Maybe he's in a hard place. I don't know. But I'll put myself there and, I, and I'll put him right there this morning. Maybe he's in a hard place and maybe he needs to pull on some of those memories of old because he has no current memories. God, I don't, I don't feel you coming through now. But you know what? Last week... You came through in a big way, in a major way. So I'm going to believe that you're going to come through again for me. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. Yea, I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate on all thy work and muse. I love that word. Muse thy mighty deeds. Uh, it's a little old uh, school, King James Version, but I love it. And this is his closure. Thy way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our, I, like our God. I can almost ima imagine David being watchful that nothing takes away from him those last words. This is, I, I, I actually think, actually I don't know, I've I looked at it, studied it. I, I, I know that 
what's really in jeopardy for David here, if he, if he doesn't take charge over his soul, is he will lose God. You are holy. He will lose what God is great like our God. That's, those are things that get lost when we have ingratitude in our hearts. I know I'm in Cambridge this morning. I belong in like Seattle or California where they don't mind theatrics. So for me, David goes into the archives of the former days, the days of old, thinking back in his mind or meditating on the work and the wonders and the deeds of God. I imagine David is doing this because he, like many of us, maybe this morning, forget about the awesomeness and greatness of God. It's almost as if David is saying, soul, be watchful. Don't lose gratitude. Don't lose sight of the greatness of God. Or your resolve may change from God is holy to who is God. To what God is great like our God. To who cares. It's very easy that when we lose sight of gratitude. For ingratitude to creep in. And find roots in us. And there's many ways out of it. God doesn't leave us just to figure it out. He's given us this example in David. Where David is pulling on Times of old, he's going way back to former days when God moved powerfully. Maybe it's in the Old Testament. I don't know. Maybe it was just like a couple weeks ago. Who knows? But he's going there in his mind. And because of that, his resolve is, God, I will magnify you. David here, I believe, becomes a human telescope to declare the greatness of God as he reminds himself of the former days, in order to cause God to appear great as he really is. You see, nothing of our circumstances changes the greatness of God. No hardship, no bad day, no bad week, no bad month, no bad year. It does not change that God is great. So my conclusion is that gratitude glorifies God. And friend, God is interested in his own glory. He is perfect. And even in the, the interest that he has with his own glory, it is perfect. It is not somebody like you see in Hollywood and their concern about their own glory. It's not somebody like you see, uh, you know, in, in, in music or anywhere else, God's interest in His glory is perfect. Gratitude glorifies God. You know, it's the best way that we can come in Sunday morning where we'll feel the tangible pleasures of God is when we choose gratitude over ingratitude. Jesus, the day before he's betrayed, 
some time before he'll die, breaks bread and gives thanks. Ingratitude had no place. So I say, it is possible. <laughs> we cannot reduce Thanksgiving to a day. As Christians or as followers of Christ, we must live. And trust me, this is how it is. We must live in the constant tension. That I refuse to be bitter. <laughs> I'm happy. Remember that. Just whenever I yell. He's a happy man. We must choose to live in the constant tension of denying ingratitude. We must work in steadying our wandering hearts with excessive thanksgiving. Sunday morning should be a party, not a funeral. Give me the few, God, I'll take them. Should be the overflow of all that God has done, all that He is doing. Just, it shouldn't be a worship team or a preacher trying to drum it up so that you feel some kind of emotions or, oh, I'm getting goosebumps. He's, he's making sense. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> And this is not veer from the New Testament. In Acts 20.35, we find that givers are more glorious than receivers. <laughs> and, and friend, that is more than just a catchy way to get money out of you. To take an offering. That's, that's more than just a way to take an offering. It's the way the kingdom works. It's more blessed to give then to receive. Man, if we came to church like that on Sunday morning, where we don't look at like, God, what are you going to give me? But we look at actually, God, what can I give you? The game will change. You want a move of God? You start coming to church on Sunday morning like that. It will be contagious because God's kingdom moves in an operate, opera, opposite direction than the kingdom of this world. And when the world starts seeing people moving in such a way where they are not ignoring their problems, but they are choosing not to make a God out of their problems and rejoicing, bringing forth the sacrifices of praise, you won't be, this room won't be big enough. The church will come off its hinges and people will be so attracted. And I, again, guys, I, I, I understand this morning that there are so many here, myself included, that have experienced Many hard things, maybe even this week, maybe it's been a bad month, I, I don't know. But what I do know is we give a high compliment to God when we choose not to make idols out of those things. And when you come into a church and you are, you are reluctant without somebody pulling on your strings to be thankful, church changes into performance Rather than people who are giving thanks to the awesomeness of God. It's a whole change on a Sunday morning. Psalms 35, 26 through 27. Is everybody okay? Even with my yelling, it's good. 
David gives a contrast of really what I've been trying to explain the last 20 minutes or so. There's a contrast between two groups of people. Those who magnify the Lord in verse 27. And another group of people who in verse 26, David says this about. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor. Remember, I did not write this. David did. Let, let, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves. Thank you, Will. It's perfect. Who magnify themselves against me, God. Dare I say that at the root of all ingratitude lies the love of one's own greatness. Because genuine gratitude admits that we are the beneficiaries of an unearned inheritance. So, so at the root, just tune in to these, just if you hear nothing else, so that you can learn how to fight this thing called ingratitude with gratitude. But at the root of all ingratitude lies the love of one's own greatness. This is nothing new to the 21st century church. Right, this is nothing new to Hilltop or 2017 Christianity. Man has always loved his own glory and prides always in his self-sufficiency. He hates, me included, to think of himself as a sin-sick and helpless being. But that's who we are. You cannot change the gospel. That's why we have the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news, not bad. To help illustrate this point just a little further, let's go to Psalm 69, 30, and 32, a passage that we were already in, and then we're going to use Psalms 59 through 14. First in Psalm 69, 30 and 32, David says this, Then I will praise God's name with singing. I will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hoofs. The humble will see that their God, see their God at work and be glad. Let all those who seek God's help be encouraged. This, this scripture here prompts something very quickly in my mind, especially as it um, relates to the Old Testament and something that was a practice for kind of the forgiveness or the payment of sin. But here, if you could just entertain this thought to me, with me, why, why does the offering of some expensive animal um, please God less than offering genuine thanks. Isn't that the way they did it in the Old Testament? There, there's an interesting connection between Psalm 69, 30, and 32 and Psalms 50 and 51, which I believe bears this out. Um, but the text here in Psalm 69, 30, and 32 goes on to say, I will magnify with God with thanksgiving. That's our hallmark verse or the verse that we've kind of built all of this upon. This will please God more than ox and bull with horns and hooves. But one reason, um, just from studying, that we find um, why God was not pleased with the offering of ox and bull um, here and how he preferred in Psalm 69 just a genuine thanks is because the giver often thought 
that his gift was enriching God. Or, or was supplying some kind of deficiency in God. That what seemed to be an act of love by man, um, meeting God's needs, so to speak, this was kind of the attitude that they had, was it an insult to God. It's an insult to God. Let's look at Psalms 59 through 14 to see if we can further verify this and find the connection between both chapter 50 and 69 of Psalms. Here it is. I will accept no bull from your house, nor he goat. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I went King James on this, sorry. From your fold. <laughs> For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle of a thousand hills are mine. I know all the birds of the air, and all that moves in the field is mine. How can you give God something that he already owns? If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and all that is in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh? I'm not talking about myself. This is God still speaking. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So essentially, just to break this down very simply, is God is saying every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, they're mine. You can't give me. You can't give me God. A bull, nor an ox, nor a goat. They are already mine. And this is where man kind of inserts himself as the giver, as if he's trying to meet the needs of God. They're God's. The text goes on in 51, I believe. Are, yeah, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than oxen, bull, and horns, and hoofs. What is that? Why does the offering of some expensive animal please God less than offering genuine thanks? It's simply because you can't give God something that he already has or owns. But here, I believe, is just a clear kind of visual connection to how man's self-exalting behavior acts. Even in the practice of religion, right? Even in the practice of religion here in Psalms, he finds a way to preserve, excuse me, his status as giver, a self-sufficient benefactor. In the very act of worship, he belittles God by refusing to assume the part of a receiver. And so as a remedy to this self-exalting tendency, God prescribes the opposite. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanks. Don't get the roles mixed up. It's almost like God's saying... I am the benefactor, not me, but God. And you are my beneficiaries. I'm the giver. That's why in Psalms 50, 23, David says, He who brings thanksgiving as his sacrifice honors the Lord. The, the one thing about thanksgiving is there is 
especially in America, I think across the globe, an element of sacrifice. Why, why is that there? Is it just because, well, what they did in the Old Testament was sacrifice a bull or gold for their sins? Yeah, maybe. But I think it reaches deeper than that. You, you see some of this language in Hebrews where the author of Hebrews tells the people not to succumb to ingratitude, but bring a sacrifice of praise. There is something about praise. There is something about thanksgiving that is sacrificial. Because it goes against who we are as humans. And this is why I believe that David in verse 517, um, chapter 5117 says, The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit and a broken contrite heart. That God will never despise. I think he's describing um, the only kind of heart from which the sacrifice of genuine thanksgiving can flow. When we see ourselves as the helpless, broken beneficiaries of an awesome, great God. Who is the giver? So, there has to be a way that we begin to turn the corner and move from the theatrics and what we need to actually engage in our worship, both privately and corporately, where we are not glorifying ourselves are glorifying our hardships, but glorifying God with gratitude irregardless of those circumstances. Because gratitude in God's mind, in God's eyes, glorifies God. And God is about His own glory. So I creatively came up with four ways to, I think, cultivate and grow in gratitude. You don't have to write these down. I can send them if you find them to be helpful as you're hearing them. But some of the ways that I, um, you know, I'll just be honest. I'm a, I'm a complainer. I'll be totally upfront with you. I, I, I can, yeah, I can get in the trenches of, of misery and complaining just like the next. But So I, I work hard at trying to um, just, snap free of that tendency to, to complain and to make much of my trials by doing these things. First, I come to grip with the fact that I am uh, the beneficiary of God's grace. Simply stated, Matthew 6, 3 says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I love the way the New Translation says it. It reads this, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him. Oh, that has been a life verse for me. And this is not just some kind of poor, I have no money. This, this is a poverty that says, God, I am nothing without you. I am poor. Coming to the realization that we are in utter need of God's mercy puts to death 
our self-sufficiency and pride. When we acknowledge God as the giver and the benefactor, we pay God a high compliment. To take inventory, catalog the ways and times in which God has faithfully worked on your behalf. So that when you're discouraged and you can't, uh, that way when you're discouraged you can remind yourself of, the, uh, of those things that maybe not be present right in that moment. But you can look back to maybe the last couple days or months where God did come through. And you can remind yourself saying, I know God came through once. He's going to come through again. So take an inventory, catalog the ways that God shows himself strong, shows his greatness. Three, be honest when you pray. God knows it anyways. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're going through. When you dialogue with God, don't get all King James on him. Be honest. Be transparent. Don't be miserable, but be honest. He knows anyways. Be broken and contrite. Use that catalog, that inventory that you're taking to encourage yourself in the Lord as you pray with absolute confidence that the same way God had come through before, He'll come through again. He'll strengthen you. He'll come, uh, he'll come through before, come through again, excuse me, uh, for you. And then four and last, the sacrifice of praise theory. Hebrews 3.15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that openly profess His name. What is the sacrifice of praise? Praise is usually associated with joy and happiness. But this kind of praise that the author is writing about here in Hebrews 13.15 is commanded. Do you believe that today, that Actually, God commands praise from his people. I mean, in light of that, there should be no excuse. God requires. And what we have to understand in understanding that God requires our praise, our thanksgiving, is that it is sacrificial. Meaning, you're not always going to feel it. But I'm telling you, friend, I'm telling you. Oh, the benefits of a grateful heart. <laughs> the, the, the benefits of actually doing as David did and taking that stand. I don't feel it, but I will magnify God. Not with complaining, but thanksgiving. I have no reason before me right now to do such. But I can, I can look into the catalog. I, I can look at Scripture and see ways that He has moved in great ways for His people. And that can encourage me. That can strengthen me while I'm in that kind of waiting season. It's sacrificial So my summary is that regardless of circumstances, praise must flow, flow from our hearts continually in good times and bad. And, and, and let me just tell you this from experience. 
the sweetness of praise when it's it's a bit uncalled for maybe in our minds and hearts when we're having that hard time or that hard month or hard year that 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 kind of behavior that kind of stance is so sweet i I would go on to say it is sweeter than when things are great I, i have experienced the lord in ways when i am in a pit and there's no clear and apparent reason to give thanks but I've experienced him in ways that I don't think I've ever experienced when I'm on a mountaintop and things are going good. The sweetness that begins to fill our hearts, that begins to fill our lives, and that begins to fill those moments when we choose to, I will magnify God, you can't beat it. You cannot beat it because God is a good God. Yeah, he commands praise. But there is something he does as he commands praise and he shares himself with you in ways that are beautiful, in ways that are great and awesome. And so, in conclusion, Hilltop Church, I think we ought to make a thing of this thing called gratitude think that we would benefit greatly as a church to uh, bring every Sunday a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Father, I come before you now and I ask, Lord, that you would dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Lord, if there's any confusion, Lord, or even hurt, but it can be such a sensitive topic because we all are going through different things and some harder than others and so Lord I in no way want to ignore those experiences and that hardship but what I want to do God is make you bigger than those things and so I pray God that you would help us as a church make you big I ask, Lord, that you would teach us how to bring every Sunday, every day to you the sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Was this okay? You can clap. It's all right.